all these experimentations around sort of let's use AI for our communication. Let's use more SMS messaging to keep kids from maybe not going somewhere else during the summer because they change their mind. But at the end of the day, it's not the technology. It's the message that shows the value. And you can't show the value unless you have solutions in place that can connect students and learners directly to employers in the workforce. That bridge is extremely important right now because at the end of the day, if you don't have that bridge, you're just saying the same thing every Everybody else is saying. Hey, welcome to the Higher Ed Storytelling University podcast here on the B Podcast Network. This is a show dedicated to helping higher ed marketers tell better stories, create better content, and enroll more students. My name's John Azoni. I'm the founder at Unveiled, and we're a video production company working specifically with college marketing teams to make it easy for them to scale up and even automate their student and alumni success stories through our subscription approach. And you can learn more about that at unveiled.tv, and that's U-N-V-E-I-L. TV. If you're listening to this podcast for the first time, uh, go ahead and subscribe. We'd love to have you. And if you're wanting your college and university's content to resonate on a deeper emotional level with prospective students, with alumni, with parents, whatever, I want you to subscribe to my free newsletter. Every week I send out tips and insights on creating more emotionally resonant content, including examples and best practices from other institutions, articles and blog posts, that week's podcast episode, and much more. So head over to unveiled.tv slash newsletter and sign up. All right, let's get on with the show. All right, my guest today is Eric Stoller. Eric is the VP of Digital at Territorium with over 20 years in higher education and ed tech. He's a strategist, writer, and thought leader, and he founded and led a global higher education consultancy from 2010 to 2019 and created the student affairs and technology blog for Inside Higher Ed. Uh, previous EdTech roles include leadership positions at List EdTech, Element 451, and Gecko Engage. And earlier in Eric's career, he was an academic advisor at Oregon State University, Oregon, not Oregon, as we've uh, powwowed ahead of this <laughs> ahead of this episode. Uh, and also a marketing specialist at University of Illinois at Chicago. Eric has earned an associate's degree a BA in communications and an EdM in college student services administration. And so among all these things, Eric has a lot of great insight into this idea of the value of higher education and skills-based economy. And so we're going to be talking all about that uh, today, what maybe needs to change about the traditional role of higher education in a person's life and uh, how our messaging and storytelling needs to align with those potential changes. So Eric, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Oh, thanks for having me so much, John. And thank you so much for pronouncing both my last name and Oregon correctly. <laughs> yes, we were discussing before we started recording that, uh, you know, it immediately defines who you are as a person if you say Oregon. Uh, so we want to be in the know here. We want to be one of the cool kids. So we're saying exactly. Oregon. Well, I, I used to say it the wrong way. I used to live in Chicago. I went from Chicago to Oregon. And I you know, immediately had to stop using the horn when people didn't start pulling away quickly enough from from green lights. Yep. You know, I was much I was much too rude and obnoxious <laughs> for my big city life. So, uh, yeah, you, you learn many things when you when you live in Oregon. Yeah. And uh, the few times I've been to New York City, I, I noticed that like I, I almost want to just like have a horn as I'm walking just to blow the horn, like for no reason. It's just everybody's like, if you exist, you're getting you're getting honked at. Well, and honestly, <laughs> if you blink, if you blink when the light changes, you know, forget it. You're, you're, they're going to start hitting the horn immediately. And, 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 you know, everyone has to be like a, you know, I don't know, like a formula one driver or whatever. <laughs> like you really have to be ready to go. Yeah. Yeah. That was the impression I got. Okay. So Eric, to kick us off here, what's something that people would be surprised to learn about you? Well, you know, John, you were telling me ahead of our, our, our podcast conversation here in the prep call, you were saying, you know, here's some things that other people have said, and they set the bar ridiculously high. And I thought to myself, you know, I, I don't have a lot of surprises. I've sort of lived my life, as it were, on social media. But the one thing I guess maybe that people would be surprised about is I once had dinner accidentally with Taylor Swift uh, Whoa. in Boston. Totally by accident. Uh, I was at this restaurant in the north end of Boston. It was a just a, kind of a hole in the wall, super small place, uh, delicious food. I'm sitting there eating, you know, dinner, dinner, and 
these people walk in this couple and I, this was years ago. And, you know, obviously I, I knew of Taylor Swift. She's a, you know, international celebrity musician. Just everyone knows her, right. Just sells out uh, every, everywhere she goes. And I have heard of her. Uh, yeah, exactly. You know, you may have heard of her, but she, she walks in and I'm like, I know her. I, uh, the friend I'm with goes, that's Taylor Swift, you know, cause I'm trying to, you know, think. anyway, so we, they, they come in this restaurant. They literally sit like right next to us. And the owners of the restaurant, they like lock the place down. No one else in. They literally pull the blinds down. And so we're all eating in there. And Taylor Swift is in there. And so I, I, I tweeted out later on, you know, uh, back when Twitter was still a thing in many ways. I guess you call it X now. And mm-hmm. I tweeted out, you know, you know, you're in a good place in Boston when Taylor Swift walks in. And a few days later, I get this call from People Magazine and they wanted to interview me. And I, I mean, People Magazine quoted as saying I had dinner with Taylor Swift, which is, you know, something I never thought uh, I was going to be in, uh, in a magazine of all things for. Wow. So if you just yeah. show up to like the heiress tour uh, playing in your town, do you, did she just let you in? She just, oh, it's, it's me. We had dinner one time. Clear, clearly. <laughs> right. No, I mean, I, no songs were written about me and there'd be absolutely no recognition. All, it would probably be the, oh, you're one of those annoying people that, that, you know, outed my position, uh, you know, when I'm yeah. just trying to have a quiet night out. I'm like, in, I'm just like incredibly awkward and I feel so awkward around celebrities. I'm the type of person that would like avoid a celebrity because I would say something dumb. Uh, case in point. So there is a book that I read by this author, Shane Claiborne, who back in like the late aughts was a big deal in the Christian uh, social justice movement. This book that he wrote was a big part of why, you know, I left college, started working with the homeless and, and, and all this stuff, which eventually led to a video career. So he's in town. Uh, last night for us, us talk he's doing at a church that my mom goes to. My mom comes over to my house. She's like, you'd be jealous. Shane's sleeping over at my house tonight. And I'm wow. like, oh my gosh. I'm like, I can't, I can't, <laughs> I'm not coming over. You have to find an excuse. No, you have to find an excuse to figure out a way to, you know, yeah. like, Hey, I brought something, you know, what is it? Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm like, I'm coming home from the gym last night. I'm all sweaty. I'm like, should I stop by? My mom lives like three minutes from my house. And I'm like, should I stop by? No, I'm like gross. And also I don't want to be like, by the time he's like, just relaxing at my mom's house he's probably in a relaxation mode he doesn't want another person to talk to well that's when you come you in know. and say you know hey mom i'm just coming to collect that box of stuff that i left at the house <laughs> that i've never picked up before it's just been waiting for this exact moment in time yeah anyway i so i don't know he might he might be gone by now uh but i, <laughs> I missed my opportunity uh but hopefully my mom communicated how much uh you know his books changed my life so um but yeah i'm too i was too scared to go over there well i used to, i mean honestly you know, i used to live in london and you know you walk by celebrities all the time and and it's really really interesting and awkward you know uh what's his name the guy who was in pirates of the caribbean uh, is it bill nye the actor I think he played Bill the guy Nye. with like the octopus on his face or whatever. Bill um, Nye, the science guy? No, not Bill Nye, the science guy. The okay. actor, the actor. Anyway, oh, I didn't know there was an actor. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> he, he's always walking around and, and I, you know, I walked right past him and it was just, I just wanted to, I don't, I don't know what to say. Like, what do you say? Like, well, hello. Nice. But, but you know, and we're strangers. And so uh, you, you just keep walking or yeah. the, there was an actor from the, the, uh, the series was the Sons of Anarchy. And I got him confused with the, the lead actor in that show Vikings. Uh, these two guys like blonde with beards, they looked very similar. And I was like, were you in that show? We're in the grocery store, like a little local grocery store in London, the heart of London. And he goes to me, oh yeah, I was in that show. And I said, are you going to have more episodes? Because it was like, I think Vikings maybe had concluded its run and and maybe Sons of Anarchy was still going. I can't remember the exact sequence, but he goes, no, I think we're we're about done. We're about done. I'm like, oh, okay. And then I we looked him up later. I'm like, who is this guy? I talked. To the, I was talking about the wrong show with the wrong guy. yeah Yeah, that's my worst nightmare is just like saying something awkward and and then never forgetting it like just always that's like always this this cringy moment i'm reliving in my head so self self preservation move for me to not talk to celebrities i think (laughs) okay so anyways uh so You've got a pretty illustrious uh, career in, in higher education and, and uh, speaking roles, keynote speaker, all this kind of stuff. So give us a little bit of rundown of your background, which has kind of led you to having this sort of platform ar- uh, around the skills-based economy topic and, and things like that. 
Yeah, well, you know, it's it's like a lot of people. I never set out to work in higher ed. It, it kind of was by accident. Uh, you know, I have a my my bachelor's degree is in public relations and communications. I'm minored in marketing. Uh, you know, and you can take that into anything. You can parlay that kind of education into a lot of different things. And I ended up working, as you said, at the University of Illinois at Chicago in marketing specifically. And I was doing marketing within student affairs, which it was an interesting gig because my job was to get students to do things like attend events, participate in programs. And then I kept doing that. And eventually someone said, where'd you go to graduate school? And I said to them, I didn't go to graduate school. I just have my, my bachelor's. I'm good to go. Right. I was a, a kid from a small, small rural area in Iowa. For me, that bachelor's degree was everything and ended up going to graduate school out at the illustrious, as you say, Oregon State University. And it was a wonderful experience. I was working in enrollment management, financial aid, registrars, really got to sort of see the full picture of what it takes to both recruit uh, and enroll and, and retain students. I was also an academic advisor for a time. And, and then I started freelancing as well. I was writing and getting invitations to speak at certain events because I was talking about technology and digital engagement. Uh, and then I eventually parlayed that into a, a few vice president roles at ed tech companies. I'm with an ed tech company right now called Territorium. And it's really kind of the best of both worlds for me because I get to talk about, you know, higher education and the value of higher ed. But in the context of the skills-based economy, which you mentioned, which is, you know, most people go to college to better their chances for career success, further their chances for employability, uh, maybe a greater salary. And, and so what, what are institutions doing when they're recruiting students? What's the story they're telling uh, students around? What's the value of that degree? Not just from the on-campus or even the off-campus for those online uh, learners. What's that experience like that's gonna connect you to employers down the road? How are you verifying skills based on all the learning that occurs in the classroom and outside the classroom. And so you've got everybody from the registrars who handle the transcript saying, we need something better than, than the sort of A, B, C, D, F language that we've had in the past. It doesn't show, for instance, what John and Eric know or what the skills that they developed in, in, in college, what those are. And so that's where we started getting into new record system, new technologies, things that take badges, which are basically saying, your verified skills on certain things. That's why they call it a micro-credential. It's saying you know about certain things, mm -hmm. stacking them all together and saying, hey, at the end of the day, in John's digital wallet or Eric's digital wallet now, they can directly showcase the value of higher education to employers based on all those validated skills. And it's a much deeper, richer connection rather than just saying, you're going to have a great experience in the dorms or we've got a winning football team. It, because at the end of the day, people are getting into five, six figure debt for their higher education experience. If they're doing that traditional route for the degree, for the diploma, what do they get? What do they got to show for it? And it can't just be career services coming to students at the end of their experience. It's got to be weaved throughout so that what students learn in the classroom, what they learn outside the classroom all connects back to the reason that students go to college, which is to better their chances for employability. You know, in America, there are it's 39 and probably quickly approaching 40 million uh, people in the U.S. with some college but no degree. Mm. And so that's people who have some credentials, some bits and pieces of a transcript, but no diploma and probably a lot of debt. And so they need a way to be able to translate what's on that diploma, what's on that transcript, excuse me, not the diploma, the transcript, because the transcript, honestly, it's, it's outdated. It's outmoded. It's like a resume, right? A resume, it, it, it only has on it what you say you can do rather than what others have actually verified what you can do and what you've learned. And so for those adult learners, they're looking to upskill. They're looking to add on and stack credentials. Maybe they're going back to college to sort of fill in the blanks and get more experiences, more learning. And so that's where things like a comprehensive learner record, which is the, sort of the next iteration of the transcript. That's where these digital wallets, which are basically, you know, all that collection of learning that you've got in your life, John, that is housed in that one repository that is yours to take with you, regardless of which institution you're at. You know, let's say you're a graduating senior in high school, you've got one already, you go to a university, You've got it there as well. Then you go on to the workforce and you're looking to upskill and it's, it follows you throughout your entire life journey. And that's really a big piece to this because at the end of the day, we all learn new skills. 
we actually add on kind of new experiences. We, we continue to grow as individuals. And that, that's, that's kind of our career trajectory. And up until this point, it's been get your transcript from your institution and then what? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. So how did you arrive at like this passion for this topic? I mean, was there, was there something, you know, personal in you that frustrated you or that, that you noticed where you really kind of went down this rabbit hole? Yeah, well, exactly. It is definitely a rabbit hole. You start talking about it. You start to find out who, who's in this space. And it is an interesting collection of characters and companies, right? Walmart, for example, they're all over this. They're, I think they're one of the largest, if not the largest employer in the U.S. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce is talking about this. There are lots of associations that are talking about sort of the interoperability of it, which is basically saying these records need to be like Lego, where they can be plug and play into different systems, different institutions, different companies, uh, so that no one kind of owns it. It's actually the learner or the worker who has quote unquote sovereignty over their records. And, and the way I got into it is one, for me, I appreciate any ed tech that adds value to learners in a real tangible way. Uh, it's not just something that institutions are buying uh, that costs a lot of money and then they put it on a shelf and no one ever uses it. You know, at the end of the day, this is all about benefiting both learners and institutions. You know, on the institution side, it's about translating the value that they bring to students in a skills-based economy. And it's about adding extreme value for students so that they don't just get a transcript and then boom, they're out there. It's about directly connecting them, you know, as a bridge to employability. To me, that's the best of both worlds because honestly, I went from a community college because I couldn't afford a four-year, you know, college right away. Uh, cause I came from literally like the dirt roads of Iowa. Mm-hmm. So I went to community college, went to university, got my four year degree. You know, I went to Oregon State University and, you know, that's, that's like the ag school, right? For Oregon, because, you know, those are my roots. That's where I come from. And so for me, it's, it's about bringing back value, uh, to the, the people that honestly I've worked with my whole career. I've worked with students. I've worked with college administrators. Uh, that's the space that I, that I feel has the most power to change the world in many ways, because that's where innovation is happening. That's where, you know, if you, if you look at the data around, uh, the impacts, the societal impacts of higher education, it's tremendous. And so to me, my, my, my grandfather, who never even graduated high school, he always said to me, which I thought was really ironic, because like I said, he didn't even get his diploma from high school. He said to me, stay in school as long as you can, because it's the best place to be. And mm. I think that's what I've done. Yeah. Talk about the, in your opinion, you know, cause we talked in our pre-call about this Gallup poll and, you know, questioning the value of higher education. And that's a, that's a hot topic. What's your take on the value of higher education and, and like the far reaching impacts of, of a college degree? Like, wh- like, is that something that you believe in? You just kind of believe in it, you know, maybe packaged a little differently or, Exactly. I mean, higher education has always evolved and iterated over the years. It's not just kind of like a, a static thing, you know, in terms of how things are put together, programs, degrees have changed. You know, the, the college degrees that were offered at Harvard, you know, they're not the same as they are at institutions around the U.S. Uh, institutions are delivering all sorts of learning at scale at an online uh, basis. And so I, I think that, you know, at, at, at the end of the day, in institutions, they have tremendous value to individuals, they, to communities. Um, it's just about, as you say, how they package it, how they construct it, how they put it together. I think for the longest time, higher ed has shied away from saying um, we are about helping students and, and people in our communities uh, you know, be more empowered when it comes to employability and career success. I think the career success angle has long been something that higher ed has shied away from uh, because you know, for folks who are on sort of the academic side of things, for faculty, you know, it's it's almost been labeled as a negative thing to talk about sort of the skills aspect. But, mm-hmm. you know, I was a PR major. This, I learned communication, critical thinking, writing, uh, numeracy. I Like all the skills that I gained uh, in higher ed are tremendous to me as a worker, as someone who's had a, a career, as you say, spanning, you know, two decades now. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I think that, you know, higher ed just needs to, one, acknowledge the reality in which it exists now. You've got an enrollment 
uh, cliff that's looming. And if, you know, if it's not already here, which is you've got shifting demographics of, of just who's available, uh, for recruiting, uh, and recruitment for students, right? And so that's a big deal. You've got to say to students, Hey, we provide tremendous value that we think is, you know, in exchange for our tuition, uh, is going to propel you into the workforce because that's why you're taking this, this on. That's why you're taking this four or five year experience. Or even maybe if it's a micro credential or an online learning course or certificate, as you know, especially with a lot of adult learners, you know, I think they've got to be honest with the story because I think if you go to some of the, the conferences, you know, around sort of like recruitment and admissions, that some of the technology has changed. Some of the ways in which the messaging has been delivered has changed a lot of AI advancements, for example, with like CRMs, but what they're actually saying needs to change because it's not fair to students to say, we're going to saddle you with debt, but we're not going to prepare you for career success. Exactly. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of industries and I, and just in my tunnel vision, being a creative, I see a lot of instances in creative industries where the value of a college education is dwindling, you know, where, uh, for instance, in the video filmmaking context, there's a whole website that's very popular called nofilmschool.com or something like that. And it's, and it's all, they'll teach you lighting, uh, sound, like, you know, how to shoot an interview, how to, how to operate, you know, on a commercial set, all, all this stuff that's supplementing the learning that you would get at film school and to now where it's kind of like you want to be a filmmaker you want to make you know videos for companies whatever uh just go do that you know learn you know i never went to film school personally you know i studied as a as a a painter at, at art school and and here i am making you know videos and commercials and things like that all of which i just learned on the job you know, I just had just trial by fire. I started as an editor at this uh, production company and my, my boss uh, said, here you go. Here's a project, uh, figure it out. <laughs> and I figured it out. And then I just kept figuring other stuff out, you know, and it, and it kind of evolved into a career uh, for me, but that's not, I think there's a lot of instances where, you know, definitely like a film degree is, is valuable in certain contexts, but there's a lot of instances where, you don't necessarily like you have to think about it in terms of return on investment. If I'm going to spend, you know, six figures on a, on a degree, is it really going to help me get more uh, employment opportunities or is it just going to be something that I said that I was going to do? So I did it, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, is is it a, is it a box checking exercise or is there uh, inherent value in it? I think that, you know, one of the things too is it's not a, in a, you know, sort of black and white or super polarized decision. You can say that, you know, there are organizations, for example, like Opportunity at Work, and they have this initiative and this sort of campaign around promoting people who they call stars, which is, it stands for skilled through alternative routes, right? It's like people who are routes. So it's like people who have learned on the job, they've become managers, they've, they've been leaders within these organizations. And yet, in some cases, the barrier to promotion has been the four-year degree. I think the challenge to this conversation is we're not saying from, you know, from Territorium, from my perspective, we're not saying that college degrees need to go away. No one is saying that. It's about just saying how things are packaged, how the value and that story is told. I, I think that that's a big part of it, though, because when you start saying, well, people can go to, you know, learn how to make films without going to, you know, film school. And, and the conversation stops, right? But at the same time, let's say you go to film, you, you don't go to film school. You, you get to a certain level in your career and you decide, yeah, I'm going to sign on for a couple of credentials here and there, like a micro credential and get some badges. And then you have that on your, on your, you know, your digital wallet. You've got that in your comprehensive learner record. It's there with you as you go along. So I think it's, it's a conversation around balance. There are many organizations. Uh, American student assistance is one that's talking about, uh, you know, career readiness for K-12. And one of the things they're working on is saying, you know, not everybody needs to go to college. Uh, mm. and, and everybody knows that, right? Not everybody's going to go to college. That's going to be the reality for a lot of people. Uh, but it's about the combination. Cause look at the states. There are quite a few states now, and it's a very bipartisan issue that have dropped the four year degree requirement for a lot of state jobs. 
Mm. And, and of course, if you're a, if you're a state university at these, at the, you know, that level, you see the governor at your state saying, we dropped the four year degree requirement for jobs. That's, you know, not easy to swallow. Right. It's kind of a bitter pill. And so I think that, you know, it, it's about how institutions take everything that they've got under the hood and package it to showcase to all those, some college, no degree people, to all the stars that are out there. Uh, maybe you don't need the four year degree, but let's get you some micro credentials, stack them together and create something new that will add value to your career without maybe some of the stuff that you don't need or don't want to take. Right. This digital wallet idea is uh, the first time hearing about this. Is this happening already in, in institutions or is this something that you feel like should be implemented? So, yeah, I mean, a huge plug for Territorium, of course, you know, our Life Journey app already has a digital wallet built into it. And so whenever you've got an institution that has micro credentials, uh, as one of my college uh, colleagues called them the other day, all their stickers that they're giving out to students, but they got to have a place to put those stickers. And so that's where they go. They go into the digital wallet because one of the things that we're working on at Territorium is, okay, you've got your digital wallet, you've got all your micro credentials, all your other credentials, your, your verified skills, it's all in there. But then how do you connect that to employers? And so all these employers, a lot of them, they only go through certain companies for their jobs. So like, you know, there are certain companies, a handful of them, where if you go to apply, you're basically applying through these intermediaries uh, that handle all the, the information for the application. And so what we're doing is saying we're going to connect those learners through those intermediaries straight away so that the employers can get those folks and we call it best fit jobs, best fit jobs for the learner who's trying to connect with these employers. And also employers are getting people with list of verified skills automatically. So it's not just stated skills that they say they can do. It's what others have actually verified and validated. Mm. And yeah, it's really, it's cool technology. The other, the other little cool part of this though, when you've got your digital wallet is you can say, okay, John, you want to apply for a certain position, but based on your skills that you've already got in your wallet, you're only 60% of the way there if you want to be a good fit for this position. And we can tell you to get the other 40%, here's some things you can take, right? Some micro-credentials, some certificate programs, some institutions to get you further across the line. Uh, and so we've got some interesting uh, projects out there with Morgan State University, uh, University of the District of Columbia, uh, UDC. And we're doing stuff with this really cool organization called the, the Young People's Project, YPP. Uh, and they work with kids uh, who are studying uh, math because it's it's been shown that especially with African-American kids, a predictor of success is if they progress through algebra uh, in terms of their career success. And so YPP is all about sort of a train the trainer model where they've got these kids that are basically learning how to become tutors and they're uploading into their CLR uh, verified skills uh, that then they could take on to, you know, an, another institution or what have you in terms of their digital wallet. So it's some really interesting transformational stuff. In many ways, it feels like the resume and the transcript, you know, they're kind of like cave paintings, right? And we're bringing fire to the equation. Yeah. Yeah, even even just getting a transcript, I remember if in my college days, I'd have to like go to the to go back to my college and like talk to someone in person and like fill out a form and and all this stuff. So the idea of like your skills, your verified skills being accessible even uh I, I would think is is important. Well, cuz you look at a resume, people used to say like I got I have Microsoft Excel skills and then no one would actually question it. Right. Yeah. You know? Everybody says that. <laughs> exactly. I got Microsoft PowerPoint. Office. Exactly. PowerPoint. Yeah. I have all the Photoshop, <laughs> you name it. And yet based on what? And I, th I think that that's really important because then if you're an employer, you say, well, actually, these, this person doesn't know how to use this. Uh, and, and that's why verified skills in a skills based economy are extremely important. For sure. I remember my, my, my stepbrother a long time ago, he was, he was, he interviewed for a job at, as like a valet, like a valet Parker, whatever. And he, they asked him, do you know how to drive a stick? And he's like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he like came, he went home and he had to like learn how to drive. He had already gotten the job. He's like, I, all right, I got to learn how to drive a stick now. So it's just funny. It's just funny that you can, you can just pretty much say whatever you want. You know, it's, so it's, it's funny. I did the same thing. Uh, over the summer, when I had a construction job once, they I, I was like the only person who applied. I think it was 18. And I was the only person who applied who didn't have a DUI. And so the first thing oh he said gosh. to me was, can you drive a stick? Similar to your friend. And I said, oh, of course. Of course, I can absolutely drive a stick. 
And so that weekend, I went to my my grandfather's house uh, in in, the, in the, on the farm in rural Iowa. I said, "Grandpa, I gotta learn how to drive a stick shift. They're gonna have me driving like dump trucks and all these things." And you know, he did his best, and I, uh, yeah, it was it was definitely comical for sure. Yeah, not not so much of a necessary skill these days. I learned how to drive a stick when I was like thirteen. My my parents got an old like uh, VW beetle and uh it was stick shift and uh stupidly i don't know my parents would just let me like my dad would like take me around the neighborhood and like let me drive this thing he's like i'm like 12 13 years old learning how to drive a stick uh and nobody was hurt but uh but (laughs) the inside joke at at territorium is of course then we would add that to your clr we'd add that to your comprehensive learner record it's a verified skill we'd have someone you know give you a badge a little a, a little vw beetle badge or something how is it verified? Like who's verifying these? Yeah. So typically, like, for example, if you're getting it through a class, uh, so let's say you're in a journalism class and, and they're kind of going through some different things on the, through the syllabus and the curriculum. And so it's sort of looking at the, the overall learning and outcomes that will be achieved and saying, okay, yeah, John, you have achieved the following, uh, in terms of, uh, I don't know, writing level one, critical thinking level one. And then you kind of start to stack that stuff up together. And so usually uh, it's going to be on the academic or faculty side in terms of verification, or maybe it's an employer who has verified this, uh, or you've taken an assessment. You know, the nice thing about this is there's a lot of assessments out there. You know, Territorium, we offer a couple of different assessments that are actually used by institutions for accreditation purposes. And so mm-hmm. they'll, they'll have students take these assessments uh, sometimes at their first year, kind of at orientation, and sometimes at the end of their experience, kind of, you know, senior year graduating to sort of see where students are at as a baseline and at the beginning. And then at the end, they can see, okay, this is where they're at now at graduation. And they'll send that on to accrediting agencies to sort of showcase the, the actual learning gain that's happened. But that's, that's a big part of it too, though, in terms of, you know, if there can't be a person to um, verify it, at least the assessments uh, can verify it. And of course, with our assessments, you can get badges, which is great too, because honestly, you look at these institutional websites around some of these tests and it's like they're begging students to take these assessments for the institutional accreditation side or for maybe like programmatic improvement at the institutional level. And if if you're, you know, 20 years old, what's going to get you to take a test? You know, it's not exactly an easy ask. And so if Mm -hmm. you say to a student, Hey, we're going to give you this badge, which showcases your, your extreme critical thinking abilities. That's an actual win because then you could share that with a potential employer down the road. For sure. I think that's, that's really interesting. That's because there's a lot of things that I've learned along the way, um, that are probably very transferable that, that I might, I might not even think to put on my resume or something like that, like critical thinking skills, you know, but that's probably very important to an, to an employer. Uh, to, so to have this kind of this curated list of like, these are, these are employable skills. Quick break here. I have a question for you. Have you ever had to manage the production of a video before for your school where you were the person that had to coordinate all the scheduling? Like you had like five people that needed to be interviewed for this thing and you had to juggle all the schedules and figure out how to line them up for individual slots miraculously on the same day. And on top of that, you had to talk to you like your facilities guy and make sure the door to the engineering lab was going to be open at a certain time. So the crew could get in there and film some B roll. You had to coordinate volunteers to be in the footage and, and blah, blah, blah. And, and, and right. Let me tell you something working with an outside video vendor should not look like this. Unfortunately, I've worked with enough video folks to know that the mainstream school of thought is they will coordinate the crew and all the production stuff, the editing, etc., and they will expect you to coordinate all your folks. And I'll be honest, sometimes there's stuff that the video people just can't coordinate for you. Like, I'm probably not going to email your college's president out of the blue to ask them to be in this video and to coordinate their schedule when they've never heard of me or this project. Like that just makes more sense coming from you at least to get their initial buy-in. But as much as possible, your job should be to get buy-in from all the right people and then introduce those stakeholders to the video producer to coordinate, which is not you. Unfortunately, we live in a world where it just doesn't work like that most of the time. In fact, I talked to a marketing director at a pretty well-known art school recently who told me he hired this video crew to film a couple program promo videos and they paid a lot of extra money. This was a bit of a splurge is the impression I got. And they got two videos out of the deal. And he said to me, all that 
money we paid and I still had to coordinate everything. Like we paid a premium for someone to do these videos and I was doing all the grunt work. So here's the deal. At Unveiled, one of the things we take really seriously is making sure the process is easy on you, especially that pre-production process, which is where a lot of the not fun stuff tends to show up. So whether we're working together through our video storytelling subscriptions, a big commercial, or maybe a smaller one-off video project, know that in addition to delivering a great end product, we also have our eyes on making that a smooth and oftentimes fun journey along the way. And even after it's done, we want to make sure you're set up for success, which is why we give you all the raw footage, all that B-roll and interview footage to repurpose however you want at no extra charge. So if you have video needs right now, don't let the management of those projects stress you out. We are your partners in taking as much work off your plate as possible. So if that's you, I want you to head over to unveiled.tv. That's U-N-V-E-I-L-D.tv and book a call with me. And let's talk about how we can best support you. All right, back to the show. Shifting gears to like the messaging side of things, speaking to higher ed marketers here that are wondering, how do we roll this, think about our messaging and storytelling in terms of uh, these thoughts? Like, what do you see in general that colleges are getting wrong? What do you see that they're getting right in their messaging? Talk about yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's obviously that's tricky. You never want to, you know, ping someone because they're getting something quote wrong. But I think that what they haven't been doing, right? I think it's always about maybe that is sort of like adding on to what they have been doing, but saying you're going to have a quality experience. We're going to, you know, support you throughout your entire experience. But how is it connected to employability? I think that's a big piece, right? Here's the degree. Here's a program. How does it connect to what employers are looking for? Uh, mm -hmm. because I think that's a big part of it. And I think there, you know, I saw an article the other day. It was around, you know, tuition discounting, you know, the sticker price for institutions is not usually what students are paying, but if you've got declining enrollment numbers, you need more people to pay a higher price. And if you're asking people to pay a higher price, there's got to be a transactional exchange that says you paid a little bit more, but by golly, we got you a really good job at the end of it based on all the skills that you acquired inside the classroom and outside the classroom, right? Because there's a tons of amazing experiences um, outside the classroom that are part of that collegiate experience. Yeah, I think that there's probably just a stigma about tuitions just rising arbitrarily, but the need to connect that to like, if I'm paying more, what more am I getting? I, I, well, like I, look at liberal arts, look at liberal arts schools, right? Liberal arts schools provide an amazing education, an amazing experience but they're always getting dinged in the media because they're not, you know, it's not connected to sort of like hard skills or, a, you know, engineering or business or, but liberal arts schools teach students all kinds of amazing things. But again, it's about how those students take those amazing things out to the world and say, look at all these amazing things that I can do. And a transcript, A, B, C, D, F, nothing. Right. Right. But if you say you took the following courses, but within that degree, within that sociology degree, within that philosophy degree, you know, anthropology, uh, English, you have skills that are transferable, marketable, and that make you extremely employable. And th those are things too that, you know, cause in this age of like, I can learn anything, almost anything I want on YouTube. Uh, you know, my, my dad is, <laughs> my dad does not know how to fix a darn thing in his life. Uh, he's always so <laughs> impressed when I'm like replacing the dishwasher or the garbage disposal. He's right. like, it's like, you're a wizard. It's like, you're yeah. a wizard. Yeah. He's like, how did you learn how to change your oil? <laughs> and I'm like, it's just YouTube. You know, like there, you can learn anything, uh, almost anything nowadays. Obviously you're not going to become like a master electrician, you know, on YouTube. But, but I think this idea of like, there's these very hard skills that you can learn. And I think there's probably some career paths that you could just, like I was saying earlier, you probably could just learn the skills necessary for the job, at least to kind of get started and then learn the rest on the job, like just by learning online. And so there's probably some level of competition now where higher ed might be taking a hit because there's so much free learning. All these content creators want to educate everybody and, and provide value. And in doing so, yep. they're sort of putting colleges you know out of their place in in educating the world but i think that's such a key point that you made that there's so many other soft skills leadership all that kind of stuff that 
if you were to package that and say like, this is a definable verified skill that I learned in college, that's not something you're necessarily going to learn on YouTube when someone's just teaching you how to do X, Y, and Z or. Yeah. Well, and it's verified. It's, you know, the verification of it all, you know, that does matter. I think as employers are trying to suss out sort of, you know, are these people actually qualified for, for roles? I mean, employers are getting, thousands of applicants for jobs now trying to figure out who is actually legit and, and has the goods. It's, it's been a challenge. And so this helps eliminate that challenge by connecting them with best fit uh, candidates. Uh, I think that, you know, institutions, they've got to change the story. I think, you, you know, you're talking about the competitive nature of people saying, maybe I don't need to go to college. I remember, you know, gosh, 15 years ago, uh, there was this guy who was putting this book, he had this book about how he didn't go to college. And of course, his parents had gone to college and a lot of people around him had gone to college. And so there's, there's always that little element, right? Like the people saying don't go to college are usually connected directly to colleges in some way, <laughs> uh, which is why I, you know, I'm a huge proponent uh, of the higher education experience. I think it's uh, one of the best things people can do. But I think with institutions, you know, for example, you know, they, they're trying anything right now. They're trying to recruit from other states saying, Hey, we'll give th- these kids from other, inst- uh, other states the same cost, uh, even though it's out of state. And, you know, cause out of state tuition used to be a big revenue driver, but now they're saying, Hey, come across the border. We'll, we'll, you know, you have the same program, et cetera, or similar, uh, for the same cost. And they're even doing things like direct admissions, right? They're basically sending people letters saying you're, you're admitted to the institution. But what they found is that. Uh, even though they sent a bunch of letters to people, they didn't enroll at a higher rate. And so like, there's all these experimentations around sort of, you know, let's use AI for our communication. Let's use more SMS messaging to keep kids from maybe not going somewhere else during the summer because they changed their mind. And I say kids, and that's unfair because you got a wide spectrum of ages here. But, but at the end of the day, it's, it's not the technology. It's the message that shows the value. And you can't show the value unless you have solutions in place that can connect students and learners directly to employers in the workforce. That bridge, that bridge is extremely important right now because at the end of the day, if you don't have that bridge, you're just saying the same thing everybody else is saying, which is a beautiful, you know, brick filled campus with, you know, a bookstore with hoodies and, and, <laughs> and we're charging XYZ for the experience. And good luck when you graduate. And that no yeah. longer cuts it. Yeah. The experience is important. And I'm just speaking out of assumptions here that, you know, me as a college student, I've talked about this before on the podcast, but me as a, as a college student, belonging was a big seller for, you know, for where, for I went to, so where I went to college, that, that experience of like, now I'm independent. I'm no longer living with my parents. Where do I want to do that at? Who do I want to do that with? Who do I want to learn from? What do I want my college years to be like? That experience was really important. But if I were to go back to school now, I would be really focused on that return on investment. That's not something that I was ever thinking about when I was 18 years old. When I went through through art school, I thought I was going to be like a gallery artist. It was just kind of like, whatever, something's going to happen uh, on the other side of undergrad. Uh, and my life, you know, I t- took a completely different turn, but I was never... I, ne- I didn't go into college at as, as an 18 year old thinking this is exactly what I want to do. And so what school is going to give me the biggest return on investment? I don't think a lot of college students even know what they want to do and what is the return they want on that. Yeah. Investment. I mean, if, with that, you know, if you're, if you're 18, you're not thinking about your career necessarily when you set foot on a campus. And I think that in some ways though, the, you know, the pandemic it reoriented things for sure because, you know, students were coming to campus in certain places. And so what does college even look like in that lens? And I think that's mm-hmm. where, you know, I think colleges really took a, a step back and they kind of looked at, you know, the overall picture of what it is that they're providing because there is that sense of belonging. There is a sense of a community, sense of engagement. How do you do that in an online space? It takes work. It takes real intentionality. And I think it also takes super intentionality to connect learners to the sense of employability at the end of it. You can't just like hope that they show up uh, to your office or hope that they show up to a program, hope that they show up to learn more about it. I think institutions, part of the story has to be, we're guiding you through this. I mean, I was an academic advisor, a big part of my job, even though I wasn't located directly within the career services department, was career advisement. I was working mm. with students around 
okay, look, here's what the Bureau of Labor Statistics says around this particular career and like the outcomes you might look at if based on your degree. And students were always wanting to talk about that because that's what matters. Yeah, granted, some of them were juniors or seniors. It took them a while maybe to get to that conversation, but the conversation should definitely be happening sooner. Sooner, uh, because yeah. you don't want them you don't want them to be surprised you don't want anybody to wait till the last minute yeah i think the schools that there's a school here locally in michigan that does a good job of this where a, a big part of their core messaging is helping you find your vocation and so they're really addressing that because they have a very big undergraduate um, presence so they're really addressing that sort of pain point of like a lot of students coming into college not knowing what their value in the world is and what to do with their life and the skills that they they have at the moment or the skills that they want to acquire and so just messaging and storytelling around the institutional experience helping you find that direction in life and how that's a part of the core experience from day one which i think is important you know for it's a different way of thinking about connecting the college experience to employment you know down the road it's it's a little more like the step before that, we're going to help you figure out what, <laughs> what you're good at. Uh, so then, you know, you can kind of learn those skills to then right. get, then get employed, uh, which well, is people change their mind like three times, four times, man, people change their majors so many different times as they're kind of exploring, uh, things. I think that, you know, I took a whole bunch of science classes, I took anatomy and physiology, I signed up for chemistry and I never actually finished it. Uh, but I had all these things I was taking. because I thought, okay, I want to be a physical therapy uh, major, right? Like pre, pre PT and started taking all the science classes, learned a lot of stuff, changed my mind, went into PR and marketing. Yeah. And, and so for a lot of people, they might take all those science classes like I did, change their mind and drop out. And mm -hmm. then what, you know, and I think then we have to figure out what is, what did they get out of that, that experience that they had thus far? Because I think, I think honestly, there's a responsibility out there. The student loan debt number is just, it's astronomical. And I think that, you know, it's a, it is a very dark cloud on higher education that we've let things get to that point. And I think that the story has to be, we are emerging from this because we are trying to make, you know, people's lives better, people's careers better and our communities better. And that to me, I know it says three points and super simple, but I would be hammering that message home day in and day out. Yeah. And I also think too, just like the idea of recruiting from an employability or a world impact perspective versus what's on that transcript. You know, I think about my wife's uh, journey to becoming a, a she's a trauma therapist, super good at it. She's one of the very few truly trauma focused therapists here in Southeast Michigan. She didn't do great in undergrad. Like she, she kind of bounced around. She was going to be an uh, occupational therapist. She wasn't doing well in the biology classes and, and things like that. And eventually it's funny when we were dating, we were watching an episode of teen mom when that show came out. And one of the subjects on that show was going to an adoptions pregnancy center, which was like in our area. And our friend a uh, mutual friend worked there and she's like, oh, oh wow. yeah, we're, we're hiring actually, if you want to, you know, apply. So my wife became an adoptions worker, basically, <laughs> basically by chance from watching teen mom. And that was, that is, her that is the de definition of serendipity right there. Yeah. Yeah. And so many things stemmed from that, but like she, when we decided to move across the state to go to Western Michigan university, she didn't get in at first. And it's so funny thinking back now. I mean, she's so brilliant at this, like just so intuitively like discerning and can just like see right into somebody's soul and just give them right the exact thing that they need to hear uh, in that moment that's going to help them heal. But yeah. it's funny to think like based on her GPA and how she kind of bounced around in undergrad a little bit, she didn't get in. Like she had to then like contact this person that she met at a conference. And anyway, he ended up this uh, trauma influencer here in Michigan ended up helping her over that hump. And now it's just like, she's amazing, but it really well, it is sounds like, like she had to work for it. You know, when you have to, when you have to work for something like that, it means even more, you know, it's even more special. And it sounds like she had to really work to overcome, you know, quite a few sort of like system based challenges that didn't yeah. necessarily showcase, you know, what she could do or what she could be. And, you know, it's awesome that she got there. Yeah, it's great. I mean, it kind of just makes you think like, you know, what should that process look like in the admissions phase of like, what is the potential of this student to really be successful in the workforce? How do we see their skills beyond just whatever their 
GPA was in high school. If you look at my GPA in high school, it's terrible. Because <laughs> I, I didn't care. I was in a punk band. I was going to be the next Blink-182. You know, I was all of that, like everything that goes along with that. That like, was your the, GPA, 1.82. Yeah, <laughs> yeah 1.82. Yeah, the band was going to make it, you know, all, all of this stuff. And, uh, you know, I, I ended up stumbling into a successful career. But if you just looked at my GPA uh, coming out of high school, if I, if I didn't know how to paint some pictures, no chance of getting in you know i ended up going to art school but certainly was not because on paper i was uh extremely recruitable yeah no exactly well i think i think honestly that's why you know there are so many people who are part of that you know the stars that i referenced earlier who are super skilled extremely skilled you know tons of great experience and yet they don't have a piece of paper and you know and i think that's why i think that's why honestly a lot of the states have said you know what we're going to empower those folks and, and they don't necessarily have to have a college degree to continue to advance in their career. At the same time, loads of other people are still going to go to college. Loads of other people are still going to enroll. And it's about balance. At the end of the day, the main story for higher education is, is you know, what I've mentioned earlier, but sort of the overarching theme to this thing is about balance, right? It's college is great for some folks. Maybe it's not the choice for other people and that's okay too. Totally. Because success comes through all sorts of different doorways. Yeah, absolutely. So let's put a bow on it for us. Maybe what are some practical uh, takeaways that that we can boil all this stuff down to for uh, higher ed marketers that are listening to this that that want to go, I don't know, implement something? Yeah, exactly. Just, you know, on a whim on a on a Friday night when they want to implement some ed tech platform. Yeah. Uh, I think, at, 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 you know, at, at the end of the day, you know, it requires a deep conversation with senior leadership at the institutional level to say, we can't continue to operate on a business as usual uh, path because we've got to literally offer career pathways to our students, even though we offer tremendous degrees, because the reality is higher education doesn't exist in a bubble. It, ex it exists in the real world. There's just one in the same. And I think that the message, the key message that higher ed has to continue to hopefully absorb and listen to is that the nudge towards saying we're providing our students with an amazing education, amazing experience, but we're also measuring and verifying those skills that they're receiving and earning and learning and capturing. That, that's just part of it as well, because then it's a, it's an easy lift to connect them directly to employers. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, this has been a really great conversation. I appreciate you coming on. Where can people connect with you at? Where can people connect with uh, Territorium at? Yep, just uh, easyterritorium.com. Uh, and my email is just eric at territorium.com. That's E-R-I-C at territorium.com. Awesome. Well, Eric, man, thanks so much for being here. This was a great conversation. I appreciate it. Thanks so much, John. Thanks for listening. Three things I want to give you before you go. Number one, reminder to sign up for my free weekly newsletter, all about creating content that resonates emotionally with your audience. And you can do that at unveiled.tv slash newsletter. Unveiled is spelled U-N-V-E-I-L-D. Number two, if you've enjoyed this episode, share it with someone, share it with your team, your boss, your dog, whatever. And if you're not already subscribed, I'd love for you to do that. Uh, number three, reach out to me. If you have comments, questions, you want to talk about a video project, whatever. My email is john at unveiled.tv. John is spelled J-O-H-N. Or follow me on LinkedIn. If you're searching for me, my last name is spelled A-Z-O-N-I. That's all for today. And I look forward to catching you on the next episode of the Higher Ed Storytelling University podcast. Thanks. Thanks.